As the EU builds up its global footprints, it's crucial to avoid European navel-gazing. Instead, Europe needs to engage partners around the world on their expectations and concerns about the EU's activities and ambitions. That's right. Now it's time for Europe to listen carefully and with curiosity. Welcome to Europe Listens, where we explore issues, countries and regions that often receive too little attention in European discussions of global affairs. I'm Jana Pulierin, Senior Policy Fellow at ECFR and the Head of our Berlin Office. And my name is Raphael Loss. I'm ECFR's coordinator for Pan-European Data Projects. In our second episode of Europe Listens, we want to discuss global digital governance and EU-Taiwan relations. No one is better positioned to talk about those issues than Audrey Tang, Taiwan's digital minister, a post she's held since 2016. In 2019, she was named a top 100 global thinker by a foreign policy magazine. Before joining government, Minister Tang was a political act activist advocating for democracy, transparency, and media literacy. She also held senior positions in various Silicon Valley software companies and spent part of her childhood in Europe. Thank you for joining us, Minister. Hello, um, good time, everyone. In a recent video, you compared digital democracy to bubble tea. Um, what is global digital governance and what food or drink would you compare to it? Um, how do you and the government of Taiwan approach digital? governance? Uh, well, um, bubble tea is pretty global, last I checked. Uh, doesn't matter which kind of tea, it could be Ruibus, uh, black tea or any kind of tea, soy milk, any kind of milk, uh, and black or white or any tapioca really, uh, and still you have a recipe of open innovation. To me, the two most important thing is that it's aligned uh, to the local taste. That is to say, instead of a few elites uh, making up the rules uh, for the rest of the planet, uh, we need to empower people closest to the pain and suffering uh, or to the thirst, as it were, uh, and like, like they uh, make their own bubble tea recipes based on the open recipes. So uh, value alignment uh, through open innovation, that's the most important part. And also, second, it must be done in a way that's inclusive. That is to say, for people with all the different abilities of different um, kind of modalities of learning and things like that, we need to provide uh, uh, public services in the digital realm similar to how we enable universal design in the face-to-face -face way. In Taiwan, we uh, never uh, replace pen and paper, for example, when doing contact tracing, but instead introduce SMS-based contact tracing to augment uh, the existing ways of writing or stamping or things like that. So you need to be incremental and assistive rather than authoritarian. Maybe we jump to another topic, uh, namely the coronavirus crisis occupying all of us for two years now. Um, so for these past two years, there has been an explosion of database tools to combat the coronavirus uh, for contract tracing and uh, tracking people's vaccination status. Taiwan and other countries in East Asia have applied these technologies with remarkable success. Many Europeans, though, would argue that cultural particularities around data privacy would prevent a similar use of technology here. How does Taiwan reconcile public health with the public's interest in the privacy of their personal data? Well, simply put, we do not invent new data collection apparatus or touch points during the pandemic. We rely uh, on already tried and true and widely trusted and understood ideas, such as the uh, healthcare, universal healthcare IC card, such as the SMS, as I mentioned, the QR code and things like that. Instead of uh, people having to download any app uh, for contact tracing, uh, they simply use their built-in camera uh, to scan the QR code and send a text message to the toll-free number one. 
922. So it doesn't matter what kind of phone they use. It could be a flip phone. Uh, and they can also manually type the 15 random digits into a text message. So it's very transparent. Everybody understand how it works. And it's also secured uh, through the uh, privacy enhancing technology of multi-party federated storage. That means uh, the telecom carrier which received the SMS um, never has the mapping table between the random code and the venue that only the venue owner have. But the venue owner never received your SMS and indeed learns nothing about you when you check in the venue. So uh, in this way, uh, both sides are oblivious uh, to the personal whereabouts of all the users of the 192 SMS contact tracing system. And when the contact tracer uh, detects infected people, they nevertheless can piece together the puzzles from six or more places, uh, but uh, enjoy a idea of reverse audit where all the actions uh, that the contact tracers do can be reverse audited as at, at sms.192.gov.tw where anyone can type their own um, SMS number and receive a one-time PIN and then uh, see for the past uh, four weeks uh, who exactly in which municipality, which contact tracer have access their uh, record. And of course, everything is deleted after 28 days. So it's a multi-party security based on well-understood principle that people can audit in a participatory way. Uh, beyond the COVID beyond pandemic, the COVID um, pandemic um, authoritarian um, governments around the world increasingly use data and technology to control their populations. In addition to surveillance authoritarian, surveillance capitalism also runs rampant in part of parts of the world. Is there a third way between those two extremes or do we have to come to terms with just being increasingly transparent for governments and big tech alike? As I mentioned, the contact tracing system was invented by G0V Gov0, uh, which is a civic um, tech community. And indeed, the data does not flow to, to anyone, really, right? It's federated. Uh, and we do not yield control to the multi-party uh, designs of the Google and Apple exposure notification. But neither do we uh, concentrate the data to any particular state apparatus. Indeed, if there's no infected people detected by the contact tracers, uh, then all the telecom data does not uh, go to the state, uh, to the CDC, Center for Disease Control. So this is just uh, the norm here in Taiwan, where the civic tech people invent something. It could be the mass distribution system, many other things. Enjoy high uh, legitimacy compared to the state. And the state works in what I call a reverse procurement uh, relationship, where they uh, have the spec in the social norm that's already set. And we just provide the real-time open data and uh, infrastructure support that lowers the cost of such civic innovation. So I truly believe uh, that a civic tech community is a viable, I wouldn't say third way, maybe the zeroth way <laughs> compared to the state, the first sector and the private sector, the second sector. And looking beyond Taiwan, um, uh, global trends lines, where do you see those going in terms of uh, surveillance authoritarianism mm -hmm. and surveillance capitalism? Well, I see a uh, general understanding, uh, especially in Europe, uh, of the ideas of data altruism organizations, data coalitions and trusts, um, many other names, joint controllership uh, and things like that, uh, where people understand that uh, they can uh, form some sort of social configuration and bargain together, right, with the existing surveillance capitalist or the surveillance state, much like how uh, traditionally co-ops or labor unions enable this collection 
collective bargaining vis-a-vis uh, -vis the businesses and the state respectively. So um, I'm cautiously optimistic uh, in that the uh, latest trends in developing the privacy enhancing technologies, decentralized and distributed ledger technologies, uh, the so-called Web3 and things like that can enable a new paradigm. And once uh, there's certain designs with that paradigm that's well understood and accepted by the people such as our contact tracing system, it's very hard to go back to the uh, you know centralized data controllership and authoritarian intelligence. So in a sense, the contact tracing system is kind of like the killer app, right, of the civic tech arrangement of the social sector first uh, approach. And I'm sure that there will be many uh, similar uh, demonstrations in your jurisdictions around the globe as well. So this format is called Europe Listens for a reason, because we want to listen and learn and get advice on how Europe can do better. Um, when you look at Europe and how we do kind of digital governments over here, uh, what comes to mind? Or if kind of, yeah, the, the European Commission or whoever actor would call you and ask for your advice, what would you, what would you tell them? Well, trust your citizens. Uh, right? That's my, my number one uh, advice. Because to, to give no trust really is to get no trust. Uh, if the average citizen can participate in the kind of data governance, data stewardship, uh, for example, in Taiwan, even primary schoolers, um, I think almost all of the primary schools have at least one of those air boxes that measures the air quality and contribute to a distributed ledger. And uh, it on, not only uh, helps the climate science and environmental science uh, competence studies, but also it makes the previously almost unteachable uh, ideas of data stewardship, data bias and so on, very easy to learn because everyone just participates as a node uh, in a nationwide system that measures air quality. And when they get to the middle school, for example, they can participate in the more journalistic data coalitions uh, that fact checks, for example, our presidential candidates when they're having their debates and forums in real time so that a professional journalist can crowdsource those fact checks and display in real time. Again, it teaches about media competence, not just literacy. So I think a competence uh, instead of just literacy, um, like maker, remixer uh, based, contributor based education is very important. But of course, in order to have that sort of education, you first need broadband as a human right. Anywhere in Taiwan, you're guaranteed uh, 10 megabits per, uh, per second for just 15 euros per month, unlimited data. If you don't, it's my fault, like personally. <laughs> so basically, broadband as a human right is a fundamental layer. And on top of it, the data competence, media competence, educations and on top of this whole participatory nature of trusting the citizens to essentially crowdsource the national agenda. That's so interesting. Broadband as a human right uh, reminds me uh, of uh, my kids' school during the pandemic when they were unable to stream lectures because uh, yeah, of a lack of uh, broadband. Uh, so I very much sympathize uh, with this thought. Um, maybe uh, one other question. How can Taiwan and Europe advance an agenda for global digital governments together that puts the individual and their rights to control their own data at the center? So what can we do together better? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we've uh, sent uh, expert delegates uh, to, for example, the Global Partnership on Artificial Intelligence. Uh, there's many forums uh, in which that we talk about not just uh, the today, the data governance today, but also the future, like what would a strong norm uh, be like. Uh, previously, for example, when talking about the disinformation crisis, uh, we learned a lot uh, from the European uh, anti-dis and misinformation responses to negotiate 
right, with say Facebook and other uh, social media, so that uh, the targeted advertisement do not uh, bypass fact check, do not bypass the campaign donation and finance records, uh, do not uh, accept foreign uh, sponsorships uh, during our presidential election seasons for political and social advertisements and so on. And that's because a very strong norm package was already set at the time uh, in, in Europe. So uh, what we are thinking is that we need to work on more of those norm package uh, layer uh, conversations. And then once those norms are implemented, then we can work with the uh, private sector to say, basically, this is the social sector norm. This is what our people have already broadly agreed on. And we've got some experience uh, working in multilateral setting, for example, through the conversation called digital dialogues uh, with the AIT, the US de facto embassy. Uh, we talk about the trade relationship, security relationship, people to people ties, uh, how to make public diplomacy work and things like that using this POLIS system, which is a crowdsourcing AI assistive intelligence that helps people visualize the common uh, values hidden in plain sight. And then we can say, oh, everybody agree that holding a presidential hackathon together is important and things like that, and then set that as the norm-based priorities. Thank you very much for the conversation, Minister Tan. Um, I think we listened carefully. Uh, I think we can definitely learn something from your experience. Um, and we hope that the rest of Europe listened carefully too. Thank you. Europe Listens is part of ECFR's Reshape Global Europe project supported by Stiftung Mercator. Thank you all for tuning in and listening in. Until next time.